Father, we do pray that as tonight we study your word, that what a privilege it is for us to gather here. And Lord, this is inspired by you. This is for us today as we look at the days of Jeremiah. Uh, Lord, we can um, not just look at the implication of what was taking place here and historically, but also what it means for us today. And Lord, I do pray that as we read these words that uh, we can learn, that as we come into this place, that our ears would be open and our hearts soft and we would be teachable right now, attentive, because it's evening, it's the middle of the week. Uh, perhaps some are coming in from right after work and, and it's the end of the day and tired. So help us be attentive to the things that you want to teach us and show us as we read your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As Jeremiah is ministering uh, during this time, he would begin his ministry during the reign of Josiah. And uh, we're going to see that, um, that uh, as we continue here, that there was uh, reforms that took place. There was religiousness that was taking place. But it was all in pretense, as we read in chapter 3. He says, you haven't followed me with your whole heart, but in pretense. Uh, a lot of religious activity and, and things like that. But there was false worship going on. There was uh, false gods that they were turning to. They were not listening to the Lord and repenting from their sins. And we're going to see that very clearly as we continue here in, in chapter 6. And now Jeremiah is given a very difficult message of judgment that's going to come. Here is Jeremiah. He's watching a nation die. And, and as the Lord would say to them, you need to break up the fallow ground of your heart in chapter 4. Circumcise your heart. And, and you need to cut away the flesh. You need to have your heart be like fertile soil. It's hard right now. You're not receiving the word. And of course, we know that Jesus would tell that parable of the sower that would go and sow seeds among the ground. And the ground represents our heart to see the word of God. And it fell on different types of 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 soil, hard soil, and rocky soil, and, and, and soil that uh, would produce weeds that came out and choked out uh, the plant, the, the Word of God. And those things can happen to us. But he said the soil that was fertile soil, uh, the seed would take root there and produce fruit. And that's what my hope and prayer for us every time that we come here and every time that you have a devotion. You should be reading your Bible every day. You should be studying the Word of God. Uh, growing in the Word of God, that, that as we do that, that our hearts are like fertile soil, teachable, uh, always uh, wanting to take the seed of the Word and have it take root there that it may produce fruit in our lives. And so here is the people of God during this time. The Lord is saying, you won't turn to me. You, you need to break up the fallow ground of your heart and, and cut away the, the, you know, circumcise your heart. Cut away the flesh, all the fleshly carnality that is there in your heart. And then what we're going to see here is as we continue that he's going to say that you need to circumcise your ears. You're not hearing from me. You know, there, you can hear, but you're not really taken in. You're not really understanding. You're not desiring to take the word of God and have it be worked into your heart. And so circumcise your ears instead of turning away from the word of God. So let's begin to look at that. As you recall that as we ended last time, that he said there's going to be this impending invasion that's going to come from the north, from, from Babylon. And they're going to build an embankment, and they're going to come, and destruction is going to come to the city. And, oh, Jerusalem, my holy city, you have polluted waters. 
when it should have been refreshing waters and, and living waters that I desired to give to you. And of course, Isaiah 55, the whole come to the waters and drink freely. And why do you buy that which costs money? But as we know that Isaiah gave that invitation to come and drink of the living waters that the Lord has to give. But they wouldn't do that. They were giving themselves over to polluted water as they were turning to those false gods. So as we continue now in verse 10, to whom shall I speak of Jeremiah 6 and give warning that they may hear. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them and they have no delight in it therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord I am weary of holding it in I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of the young men together for even the husband shall be taken with the wife and the age with him who is full of days verse 12 and their houses should be turned over to others fields and wives together for I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land says the Lord because from the least of them even to the greatest of them everyone is given to covetousness and from the prophet even to the priest everyone deals falsely they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly saying peace peace when there is no peace when they uh, ashamed when they have committed abomination no, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fail. And at that time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. So there's a lot here that is being said to God's people. Uh, they weren't listening. You need to circumcise your ears. You're not giving yourself or taking heed to the word of the Lord. And, and you have no delight in the word of the Lord. And, and then he goes on and he says to them that you as a nation, you're you are really bankrupt. And because of your sin, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your houses. You're going to lose your land. You're going to, you know, lose your family. You're going to lose all of that. And you are hearing the message, the false message, uh, and he's going to continue saying that there's going to be those who are coming along saying, peace, peace. They're going to be saying, the temple, the temple, you don't have to worry about anything. And it's a false message that is given to you and a false hope and a false assurance that, that you have because you're putting your security and assurance in the temple. You're putting it in the fact that, that you're in Jerusalem. Uh, you're putting this false uh, security in the false gods that are not going to be able to help you. And you continue in sin. And you're not listening and taking heed to the word of God. And you're giving yourself over to covetousness, which was a great sin that was taking place. And as he says here, that it's uh, taking place from the least of them, verse 13, even to the greatest of them. Everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest. So it was taking place in the leadership, uh, in, in the civil leadership, from the greatest to the least to the people. And, and it was taking place here. And also we're going to see that what was a problem was that they were not only given to covetousness, but they weren't helping others. They were ones that were greedy and violence was marking uh, the culture here in the city in the house of Judah as well. You might remember that uh, it is Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, he warned them, he said, beware of covetousness. And he goes on and he says, for one's life, you know, it does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. 
And we know that the leadership, the Pharisees, that Luke's narrative tells us, that he writes that the Pharisees had a love of money as well. So not only was covetousness a problem in the leadership here in in, uh, Jeremiah's day and in the spiritual leaders, it was a problem in Jesus' day with the Pharisees. They had a love for money. They derided him, is what Dr. Luke writes in his account when he says that, uh, given over to a love for money. They didn't care about the people. They were a heavy burden to the people. We know it was taking place in the early church because remember that Paul, as he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, those who say that godliness is a means of gain, withdraw yourself from. There was a prosperity kind of message that was taking place in the early church. And we know today that the prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel, the health and wealth doctrine, has influenced so many churches and, and so many Christians today. And it's very unfortunate. So covetousness is something that we are to be aware of. Um, it's not wrong to, to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be rich. But it's the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. That's where the problem comes in is when we pursue it and it's a priority and we are coveting and, and wanting more of what somebody else has. And it led to the problem here and to sin as it did in Jesus' day, as it did in the early church, as we see so much today that Christians are being ripped off because of that. So they were ones that they thought it was going to be peace when really there is no peace. And it's interesting as I read this, it reminds me of what Paul would write when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when Paul writes to them that uh, know this, that when it comes to the day of the Lord, and I'll read it to you, in chapter 5, and, and uh, many of you are very, very uh, familiar with uh, this. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, Paul writes, You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So Paul, after he talks about the rapture of the church, that we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He says that concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you know, have no need that I write to you. You know perfectly well. I've taught this to you. And it fascinates me that when Paul on his second missionary journey, that when he went from Philippi, established that church, the first church in Europe, he went to Thessalonica, and the Bible tells us there in Acts chapter 17 that he was just there for three Sabbaths, and then they would run him out of town. But he spoke to to them about the rapture of the church. He spoke to them about the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord, which is that period of time that begins with the tribulation, seven years, includes the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium reign. And the Old Testament speaks of the day of the Lord, so it speaks of judgment that is followed by blessing. It's a period of time. And in the beginning of the day of the Lord, they're going to be saying, peace, peace, as this one, the Antichrist, will rise up And he will seemingly be a peacemaker. He's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years, as Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us. And they're going to say, peace, peace. And then sudden destruction will come upon them, as we know that as we studied the book of Revelation last year, that there's going to be great upheaval and turmoil that will take place in that final seven-year period right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, here judgment is coming uh, to them, and they're 
they're saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. But we continue here as we read in verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths and where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This verse really kind of caught my attention as I considered it and was thinking about it. Because here he says, go back to the old pass, where the good way is. Uh, what is the Lord saying to the people? I believe that what he's saying to them is you need to go back to the old timeless truths. And as you do, you will find rest for your soul. So again, as we study the scriptures, it should remind us of something in the New Testament, doesn't it? That in Matthew's narrative, we know that Jesus would stand up on that hillside in Galilee. He would cry out to the people and he would say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm lowly and gentle, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So in two places where I see where the Lord gives the invitation that you will find rest, number one, Jesus says, come to me. Yoke yourself with me. Learn of me, and you will find rest for your soul. You know, I think that that is a great need in, in so many people's lives, perhaps even in your life. Because we can go through life and we can trust in the Lord, but are we really resting in Him? Are we really drawing close to Him and learning of Him and yoking our life to Him? Or are we taking on the yoke of other things that pull us away from Him? The yoke of the world, uh, the yoke of self-sufficiency. Are we yoking ourselves to carnality or sin in any way, to the world of any sort? You see, that'll pull us away from the Lord. But the Lord says, yoke yourself with me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We take on other burdens that, that the Lord desires to help us. And, and uh, as we are doing what he's called us to do, he says, my burden is light. But here we see that you'll find rest for your souls. You go back to the old paths, and that is as you go back to the timeless truths of God's word, and you walk in it. You see, it's not just knowing it. But it is walking in it. Just as we yoke ourselves with Jesus, it is walking in obedience with him. And listen, I think that most of us know this to be true. But it is the Lord that wants to do so much in our lives. And we are very grateful to be ones that we experience his love and in his grace. Um, but there is a warning given to us all throughout the scriptures that if you are going to harden your heart to the Lord and you're going to give yourself to sin, there's going to be a lot of loss. They're going to lose everything here. And I have seen people that have lost so much. Their marriage, their family fractured, severed lost things, their jobs, their reputations. They, they've lost so much because of sin. And they did not take heed to the warning that was given to them. And they would walk in that sin and they would commit that sin. Yes, there's forgiveness, but always remember this, that there's consequences to it. And that's why it's a loving father that says, I'm writing these words down, even as Paul would write to the Corinthian church, the Old Testament here, examples. And, and what we're told here is given to us for our admonition that we may learn. They say that you can learn from mistakes. And we do, don't we? But it doesn't have to be our mistakes. 
We can learn from here what happens when we harden our hearts and not listening to the Lord and we begin to walk in carnality and sin. And if we deceive ourselves into thinking that there will be no consequences for sin, if we deceive ourselves into thinking that I'm not going to hurt anyone, that is a big deception from the enemy. And it's a loving father that is saying to you and to me tonight that I don't want you to get hurt. And I want to bless your life. And I want you to walk in righteousness in the right way. And as we do, there's safety and security and there is rest in our souls as we do that. So continue to seek him and walk with him and to listen to him and learn of him and yoke yourself with him. And then in verse 17, as he says, also I said a watchman over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. So as you know, that, that the watchman would be on the wall. Ezekiel talks about it. And the watchman would be there and he would have a trumpet. And if danger was coming, he would blow that trumpet. Matter of fact, if you go to Numbers chapter 10, you can see that Moses there at the tabernacle was told to build and to make two silver trumpets and when they would blow it in a certain way there were different messages that were given and part of the message of the silver trumpets that they would blow is that the enemy is coming and you need to assemble yourself and shut the doors to the city and we need to be protected and that was the responsibility of the watchman and we're going to see when we go into the book of Ezekiel that during the time of captivity he's talking about the watchman uh, that didn't blow the trumpet and and their bloods be upon that watchman's hands. And, and we know that you and I, that we are to be a watchman, a watchwoman on the wall, and we're to give warning to people. Even as we, you remember that we have been reading Paul giving those last words to Timothy in 2 Timothy, that you are to convict and you are to, to, to convince as you preach the word, proclaiming the word of the Lord, the proclamation that comes, uh, that you give, that comes from a king. And, and we give the words of our king, Jesus Christ, his word given to us here in the pages of scripture. And you are to do it in season and out of season as we discuss on Sunday, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when you're energized, when you're tired, when you're feeling good, when you have a headache, to continue to give the word of God with long suffering and teaching. That means you continue to do it. And we continue to blow the trumpet to our children, to family members and co-workers and those who are linked to us in our lives. To give the warnings and to give the truth and convince and rebuke and to exhort and to build people up. To be the watchman on the wall. And I pray that we are, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will give themselves over to, to teachers and heap up for themselves teachers having itchy ears. Not being established in truth but given over to myths and fables. That's the warning that Paul gave, that there will be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. And unfortunately, we are seeing it more and more in the church today and even among Christians. So we are to be ones, a watchman on the wall, watchwoman on the wall, 
and blowing the trumpet. And, and here, the, the watchman, the, he was to, to blow the trumpet, listen to the sound of the trumpet. They said, we're not going to listen. We're not going to listen to these warnings. We're not going to take heed to the Lord. But you know what else is interesting? As I mentioned to you that in Paul, as he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the time will come, speaking of the rapture of the church, when the Lord will descend and, and with the, the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, harpazo. It's where we get the Latin word rapturous and the English word rapture. We're going to be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. And it's interesting how many Christians are being told in churches today that there will be no rapture. You don't need to listen to the trumpet. You don't need to be looking for the return of the Lord. And as we know that we don't know the day or the hour, but the commandment is given to you and to me to be watching and to be waiting and to be looking because the Lord says, I come at a time when you're least expected. I come at a time that you do not know the hour or the time. And he's going to come when a lot of people are asleep. And that's why we're to be awake. We're to be listening. And we are to be waiting in the in that expectancy of the Lord's return. We see the imminent return of, of the Lord all over the New Testament, and you and I in the day in which we are living in, we are to be looking for the return of the Lord. And I can't wait to hear that trumpet. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be listening, and I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be watching. And in the meantime, occupy till I come is what the Lord tells you and me. And then in verse 18, therefore hear you nations and know a congregation what is among them. And here, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. The fruits of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba, and sweet cane as far country, and your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Uh, here they were as uh, he is speaking to them. Living in sin, not taking heed to God's word in the warning. They were still burning sacrifices to God, which was meaningless to him. And remember that it was 60 years before this that Isaiah had finished his ministry. Isaiah had a ministry to the house of Israel before they went off into captivity by the Assyrians and then to the house of Judah. But you remember that Isaiah, that he would write in chapter 1 to them as the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to them. And I'll read it to you. It's much the same message. Uh, when you come to appear before me, as the Lord is speaking to God's people, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They are trouble to me. And I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So here Isaiah, he said at the beginning of his ministry, even as Jeremiah is in his ministry after the words of Isaiah saying, the Lord saying, why are you bringing these sacrifices? You're being religious. You got all this activity, but there's no relationship. You see, there can be a church that can say amen and God bless you and read the Bible, but they don't really believe in the deity of Jesus. They don't believe in biblical morality. 
They don't believe that the Word of God is inspired, infallible, the inerrancy of the Word of God. Uh, they don't believe in much of anything. And, and yet there's this, this religious tone, and that's what was happening here. And as we move into chapter 7, what we're going to see is uh, there was this, this you know, religiousness taking place at the temple and a false hope because there was a false worship and, and uh, giving themselves to false gods, even though there was religiousness that was taking place. You see, religion never saved anybody. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, there will be those who will say, that, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these mighty works? And the Lord said that, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. And sometimes people read that and they get kind of afraid of that. And what does that mean? Well, I think the key there in Matthew chapter 7 is that Jesus said, I never knew you. I didn't have relationship with you. And that's what Christianity is about is not about religion it's about relationship with the true and the living God to know him and to walk with him surrender our lives to him as we trust in the in the shed blood of Jesus Christ our faith in him that's what brings salvation knowing that he died for my sins and he rose again and he's alive and it's such a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to walk with him every single day but it's not about religiousness and our religious activities. It's having a heart for him. And that's the word that he was trying to bring to them. But they weren't listening. So verse 24, 21, that is, of chapter 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people. And the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. And thus says the Lord, Behold, a people comes from the north country. And a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. And they will lay hold on bow and spear. And they are cruel and have no mercy. Their voices roars like the sea. And they rise on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. So God was merciful to them, has been, but he's saying that the Babylonians are not going to be merciful. They are going to be brutal, and they are going to come in and destroy, and we're going to see that Jeremiah, he's going to continue to give these, these illustrations of how the Babylonians are going to come in and tear everything down and they're going to destroy and there's going to be death and devastation and destruction like you've never seen it before. God is merciful. And his mercies are new every day. And his compassion fails not, is what the scripture says. But I do know this, that we have an enemy, that he's not merciful. And he's looking in any way to get a foothold into your life. To destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy your ministry, destroy your witness, your joy, your peace. He is not merciful. He doesn't take a day off the enemy Satan. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he doesn't take a day off. And he doesn't say, you know, um, you know, I think, Jeff, that he's been tired and, you know, has had a rough week. I think I'll give him a couple days off. When we are tired and when we are frustrated and we're feeling dry and barren, that's when he's really going to come after you. You see, he doesn't fight fair. And we need to understand that our safety and security is resting under the shadow of his wings. 
and allow him to be our strong tower and our strength, to stay close to him, and to know that as we do, as we submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us, is the promise given to us in the book of James. Here, the Babylonians, the enemy, they're not going to be merciful to you. In verse 24, we have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain is a woman in labor. Do not go out into the field nor walk by the way because of the sword of the enemy. Fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for only a son, most bitter lamentation. For the plunder will suddenly come upon us as we continue here. The plunderer will come. It didn't happen for 40 years after the ministry of Jeremiah. There were nearly 40 years before the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and leveled Solomon's temple. But it would come. Galatians tells us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if we are sowing seeds to the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You sow seeds to the spirit, of the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. Good things are going to happen. But that is a spiritual law for every single one of us, and none of us are exempt from that. And if we are sowing seeds to the flesh, the plunder is going to come. A rotten crop's going to come up in our lives. And so the Lord says, don't be deceived. This is a spiritual law that is true for every single one of us. And I have set you as a sayer in a fortress among my people, verse 27, that you may know and test their way. They're all stubborn rebels walking as slanderers. And they are bronze and iron. They're all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. Uh, the lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain. For the wicked are not drawn off. People will call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. So we see here that um, God tried to refine them as they, uh, he turned on the fire. But they were like lead that was consumed by the fire. They weren't being refined. It wasn't taking place the things that the Lord really wanted to do in their lives because they had rejected him. You know, the Lord desires to do that refining work in our lives. And it's not always fun. And we know that as the heat gets turned on in our lives because the Lord wants to do a work in us. And he wants to refine us like gold and silver. So all the dross, you know, as they turn up the heat, the silversmith, the goldsmith, uh, refining that, that metal, all the dross comes to the top and they scrape off the dross and they continue to heap and uh, heat up the metal till all of a sudden all the dross is drawn out and the goldsmith can see his reflection or the silversmith into that, that liquid metal that is there being refined. And that's the work that the Lord is continually doing in us. And sometimes we feel like the heat is being turned up. But listen, it's not to burn you up. It's to refine you. Some of us, we remember, remember that old contemporary song, Refiner's Fire, My Heart's Desire, you know, that you refine me, Lord, that it was a popular song. Well, we sing that song, but are we going to allow the Lord to do that work in our lives? To refine us, to, to, to make us more like him. That's his desire to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. That's his desire. And sometimes that he's going to turn up the heat on us. 
or allow the, the winds of adversity to come blowing into our lives to make us a thing of beauty. But it's not to do us in, but to build us up. And not to make us bitter, but to make us better. And here they were becoming bitter uh, as uh, the Lord was trying to deal with them and get them to listen to him. So chapter 7, as we move into chapter 7, now chapter 7, uh, as we begin the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this uh, there this word uh, and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. At this time, as, as uh, chapter 7 through 10, this has taken place after Josiah, the last of the good kings, as you read Second Chronicles and go into chapter 34, we know that it was Josiah that comes on the throne. His grandfather Manasseh, terrible king, the worst king of Judah. And he plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic practices and filled the temple for, full of idols. Well, Josiah, uh, he comes on the throne at a young age, I believe eight years old. And in about the 12th year of his reign, the Lord is really working on his heart. And in the 18th year, he gives the order for the priest to begin to clean the temple, get all the trash out, uh, get the, the idols out, and, and clean up the temple. And as they did, underneath all the rubble and underneath all the trash that was there, they found a copy of the book of the law. And Hilkiah the priest came and read it to Josiah, as you read there in, in those chapters, concluding. Second Chronicles, and we know that he was quickened in his heart, and he tore his clothes, and he said, "We have sinned." So he began to restore temple worship, and 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 uh, got rid of the idols, and and called for Passover, and 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 there was the reforms that were taking place, as we discussed, but it didn't really take effect in the hearts of the people. There was that religiousness, but they still had the idleness of uh, you know worship of, of false gods that were still there plaguing them and we know that Josiah how he ended up dying was he goes against Necho the king of Egypt as you read chapter 35 of second chronicles the messengers come out uh, Egypt on his way to Carchemish uh, to do battle against the Assyrians and, and and as he's passing through there in the valley of Jezreel which is also known as the valley of Megiddo and as Necho is passing through, Josiah decides he's going to go up and do battle against the king of Egypt. So the messengers come to Josiah and say, listen, this is not your fight. Uh, he's just passing through here. He, he doesn't want to come against you. Turn around, go back to Jerusalem. Well, Josiah wouldn't do that. He ends up getting killed. He didn't listen to the messengers. And as I read that, you know, there are some battles that we think that we have to engage in that just are not ours. And that's why it's so important to be in prayer, to be discerning. But I know that there are battles that I can engage in, but the Lord is saying, this is not your battle. And this is not your fight. And you're not to be involved. So you turn around and you mind your own business. And Josiah didn't do that. He ends up getting killed. We know that Jeremiah lamented over the death, it tells us there in Second Chronicles, of Josiah. I think that they were very close. 
Matter of fact, they had one man that influenced. Hilkiah was the father of Jeremiah and also influenced uh, Josiah. And so it is some scholars of the Old Testament believe that perhaps Jeremiah and, and Josiah grew up together, that they knew each other, that they were close. We don't know for sure. But as we have looked at going through the first six chapters, the two messages of Jeremiah early in his ministry, the prophecies here of chapter 7 through 10 are given after the law was discovered in the temple during the time of the repairs were being made. And now Jeremiah is at the gate of the Lord's house and he gives a prophecy to the people. Because again, they were burning incense. They were making sacrifice. There's religiousness, but we're going to see that there was a real problem. And that is they continue to give themselves the false worship. There was truth mixed in with a lot of deception and lies and false worship. And as we go through these chapters here, we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to expose their false worship here in chapter 7. He's going to expose their false prophets in chapter 8. Then he's going to expose their false confidence in chapter 9, and then their false gods in chapter 10. So Jeremiah here at the gate of, of the Lord's house, and he's given this message here. And as we continue reading that verse 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. So again, what they were doing is they were trusting in the temple. We have the temple. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're God's covenant people. And that's why they were saying peace, peace, as we read in the previous chapter. But there's going to be no peace. We know that Ezekiel, the same message was given from Ezekiel to the people. They're saying the temple, the temple. You know, that was probably maybe the mentality a little bit of the disciples when we know that Jesus in his final days before he went to the cross, after his last um, indictment against the religious leaders, before he would withdraw from them and before he is arrested and, and betrayed by Judas. But we know that Jesus, after he withdraws from them, he's walking across the temple proper, and, and the disciples say, look at these wonderful stones. Look at these ornate, beautiful stones. In the second temple, when Herod modified it, they, he made beautiful stones. And of course, we've shown you some of those stones when we've gone to Israel, the Herodian stones, absolutely amazing. Uh, that made up the retaining wall that surrounded the temple. And I think that the disciples, as they were saying that to Jesus, perhaps they're thinking, it can't be all that bad, can it? I mean, look at this place. Look how beautiful it is. It was one of the wonders of the world, overlaid with gold. And, and look how secure, how wonderful this place is. Look at these ornate stones. And Jesus said to them, I tell you, the time's going to come when not one stone's going to be placed upon another. And they were astonished by that. You remember that David at the end of 2 Samuel, that he counted the people. And when you first read that, you think, well, what's so wrong about that? He counted the people. Well, what he was doing in that is that he was counting how many fighting men he had. And it was even Job that said, you don't want to do this, David. And what had happened is that David was trusting in his fighting men how many he had and stopped trusting the Lord. So the Lord was displeased with David, as you know, that a plague would go throughout the land. You see... You and I, 
we can put our trust, our security in things that are not lasting. It might be in our own intellect or our you know, health. It might be putting our trust in, in, in you know, our bank account, our business, whatever. Those are things that they may be strong. They seem to be secure. But our trust needs to be in the Lord. And as we as a church, I pray that at Calvary Chapel here, that we never put our trust just in how many people are coming or in budgets or in programs or, you know, in buildings or things like that. We are to put our trust in the Lord. Amen. We trust him and we look to him. And David would write some trust in horses and some in chariots. But we will remember the name of the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord for our lives personally, for our families, and our strength as a church is in the Lord. And may we never give ourselves fully to that which is not a lasting security. And you see, that's what they are doing. We have the temple. We're religious. We got this religious activity that has taken place. And yet they were so far from the Lord and judgment was coming and they weren't listening. And I hope and pray for us in the last days that we're in, in these perilous days that, that we're in, that we would put our trust in the Lord always. And here they were given to other things. And so the people didn't actually, you know, abandon the temple ministry. They simply brought their idolatry into the temple courts and made Jehovah one of the many gods that they worship. And it seemed like they were honoring the Lord with their... You know, what they were doing with their religiousness, but they were not. And they were believing lying words. And they were confident that they had nothing to fear. And they thought that God will never permit anything terrible to happen to them. Jerusalem is our holy city. You know, they're the children of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. They had such a religious heritage and they thought they were safe. But God had a different view on the matter. And sometimes that can happen to churches and to individuals. We always want to be teachable and soft before the Lord and look to Him. But then as we continue here in verse 5, For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I give your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. You steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know. So in this indictment of their sins here in verse 9, that, that you walk after other gods, verse 6, verse 9 as well. You steal, you murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal. This was the sins of the people. This is what was taking place. And then in verse 10, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. And verse 11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. Does that ring a bell with you? Jesus comes into Jerusalem, triumphal entry. He, the next day, goes to the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables. Drives out those who are selling the sacrifices. And he says, my father's house, 
which is a house of prayer you've made it into a den of thieves. He's quoting here Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, and also Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Isaiah 56, verse 7, my father's house is a house of prayer to all the nations. You see, what was happening is the people were being ripped off. After the captivity, you know, during the first temple period, that most of the people lived in Israel. When they came to celebrate Passover, they could bring a sacrifice. It was a lot easier. The travel was a lot shorter for them to come. But then when the Babylonian captivity was uh, over and some of the people came back, but they were dispersed. They were dispersed in Jesus' day all over the Roman Empire. And to bring a sacrifice for Passover, a lamb, that was pretty difficult. By the time that lamb got to Jerusalem, you know, it would be, you know, scarred and beaten and worn out. It, it wasn't very practical. So somebody came up with a good idea, the priests, initially, why don't we have some pre-approved lambs that people come and they can buy a sacrifice and they can buy a lamb and that's going to be a lot easier. It was a good idea. But what had happened is, and as you do a study, and I'm not going to go into it all, but Annas, who was the power behind the high priestly office during the time of Jesus, that he set up all of this and he was ripping the people off. So he's selling these sacrifices at, at high prices for somebody to buy a lamb. If somebody did buy one, they'd say, oh, nope, can't do it. you got to buy one of our pre-approved lambs or uh, doves or whatever. And then also, as they would give to the temple, they're not going to accept money from Ethiopia or from Northern Africa or from other parts of proconsular Asia or Rome, anybody who was traveling. you got to exchange that money for temple money to give to the temple. And so they were, you know... Uh, giving, exchanging, you know, uh, giving pennies on the dollar. They were ripping the people off. And here comes Jesus seeing all this that has taken place. And he says that you made my father's house a house of prayer into a den of thieves, a place where thieves and robbers are safe. And also know this, that during Passover, it was not only the Jews pouring into Jerusalem, but the Gentiles as well. Because remember in John chapter 11, the Greeks come to Jesus and said, we wish to see Jesus. You know why they were there? The Greeks would come. The magnificent temple. They believed in many gods, but greater the temple, greater the God. And they would come in and they would see all this merchandising going on and the ripping off of the people. And it was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. It was to be a witness and a testimony of the goodness of God, the provision of God, the beauty of the Lord. But here they are ripping the people off. And it was a terrible witness. So Jesus indicts and rebukes those religious leaders. We're going to come to the communion table as we normally do on the first Wednesday of the month. And so our hearts, I pray, it's like, Lord, if there's anything that I am doing that, is, that you've been dealing with me, Lord, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me and give yourself to the Lord. And that we would be ones that, Lord, I don't ever want to take for granted what Jesus has done for me and going to the cross and dying for my sins. And that this house here may be always a house of prayer and a true testimony of the Lord. We're not a perfect church. We never will be.
but honoring his word and honoring him. Doesn't matter to building. All those things are secondary. But honoring his word and honoring him, his ways, standing on truth in the gospel. And may that be the testimony of this place. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words that are given to us. And, Lord, as we prepare to come to the communion table, we know it's for the Christian that, that comes as a memorial in remembering what Jesus did for us. But if there is anyone that's here, or maybe you're even listening on, on live stream, or we want to tell you that Jesus loves you if you're not right with the Lord. Religion will not save you. Coming to a Bible study won't save you. Belonging to a church won't save you. I think most of us know that. But it's making a commitment to Jesus Christ and confessing that you are a sinner in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus, who loves you so much that he went to that cross to die for your sins. And he rose again and he conquered sin and death and he's alive. And whoever believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As you come and put your faith and trust in him, ask for forgiveness, call out to him. He is your salvation, there is none other. If you've never done that, will you do that tonight? He loves you so much. Today is the day of salvation, but the Bible says repent. It means change direction. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus. And give your life to him and call out to him for forgiveness. You can pray right where you are. Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. Because of your love for me. Forgive me. You're alive speaking to my heart. You rose from the grave. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to know you and walk with you. Lord, I want to rest in you. And give myself to you. Thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And listen, we're going to take communion now.